Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where I interview founders, entrepreneurs, co-founders, thought leaders, executives, musicians, artists, you, you name it, in the world of crypto, blockchain, all around the world. And today, I have an amazing guest. Uh, his He is the Chief Executive Officer of Uphold. His name is Simon McLaughlin. Simon, welcome. Jamil, that, nice to meet you. Thank you very much for having me on. You're very welcome. So um, I want to ask you first to kick things off is about your background. Is What is your background and is it a logical background for what you're doing now? Yeah, I guess you could say that. Um, I had 20 years in traditional financial services, uh, worked for many years at LexisNexis on compliance solutions, um, then worked in institutional investment. And I got super interested in crypto because I, I moved around, you know, I, work, I, I moved from the UK to work in New York. I traveled around a lot in Latin America. And if you have that background, you realize how difficult it is to move money across border. Even today, it's not just difficult for people, it's difficult for companies. It's expensive, slow and error prone. And uh, I, I've said this a number of times before. I read, a, I, I got hold of a book about Bitcoin when I was living on Union Square in New York. Barnes and Noble and read it one weekend and just thought, yeah, that's the industry I want to be in. I, I just thought it was amazing. The notion of anybody with a mobile phone and, and an internet connection could move value globally without any intermediaries and 24 seven that really captured my imagination. Awesome. So your company's uphold, all right. Uphold, what is, yeah. What is uphold all about? And what makes your company unique? Um, Uphold is a Web3 financial platform. So we help people, companies, and financial institutions move value from fiat currency into cryptocurrency and across different blo blockchains. Uh, we're connected to 20, 26 different blockchains. Um, the thing that makes us really special is um, we're structured as a prime broker which means that we have our own inventory. So when you trade with us, you're trading against our inventory. We're the counterparty. And we source liquidity from 30 underlying uh, liquidity venues. And that's a mixture of centralized exchanges, decentralized exchanges. And effectively, Uphold is listening to pricing and quantities right across the market in real time. So as a retail investor, you can be assured of getting a good price in the market because we're listening, polling the whole market continuously. We also offer a very broad range of tokens. We support 280 tokens today. We offer deep liquidity because we're connected to so many venues. Um, you know, when there's an acute event in the market, Uphold tends to be the place that you can continue selling, uh, you know, a distressed asset. It, we saw it last year with Luna C, where Uphold was one of the venues where you could continue to sell way past when some other major trading venues you know, didn't have liquidity. So liquidity is a big part of our story. And I guess the other part of our story is um, transparency. So we're the only financial platform that I know of that publishes our assets and liabilities every 30 seconds on a public website. And we've been doing that since 2016. Um, so you know, as a customer, you know that we have your assets and your assets are safe and they're available to withdraw at any point. Um, and we're, we're audited by a, you know, an audit firm with an international reputation, uh, RSM Robson Rhodes. So, you know, post FTX, we've, we've, we've done very well because as a transparent 
um, um, mature business with, with mature risk controls, we've seen very strong inflows um, because, uh, you know, a lot of the FTX story was about you don't know what's going on in a black box. An uphold is the opposite of a black box. It's tr fully transparent. Um, you can go to our transparency page right now and see in real time our assets and the, the liabilities we have to our customers. So, you know, it's a, it's a model that's very transparent, offers a broad range of tokens, deep liquidity and, you know, um, very competitive pricing. I saw a comment on Twitter X that was meant to, as a joke, right? But I'm thinking about it, and it's not a joke. It's, um, you know, you saw the Kraken lawsuit. This came out by the SEC. Yeah. It's also sued Binance. They've also sued Coinbase, and they've made a lot of lawsuits. You so far have escaped the, uh, the wrath of the SEC. So let me ask you, what are you doing right? Um, well, I think, I mean, we're, we're in many ways, we're a rather boring company in the sense that, um, you know, we put a huge amount of effort into having appropriate risk controls. And these kind of businesses, crypto businesses are very complex. Uh, there's a lot of complexity to manage. And we've invested very heavily in compliance. It's our second largest function after engineering. Um, we put a huge amount of effort into developing proper governance controls. And if you look at, you know, the chairman of Uphold Europe is a guy called Kevin Lutwick. He's a former seven-year regulator with the FCA. The chairman of Uphold Limited, which is the, the, the parent company, uh, is Jim Hilton. He built up Prom Promontory Group, which is one of the most uh, 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 storied names in consultancy in the U.S. for financial institutions. So th these are highly experienced people who've helped us develop, you know, uh, a very thorough control framework. Um, you know, a lot of crypto firms over the past 18 months have lost their access to banking partners. Um, and we've managed to retain our banking uh, partnerships because, you know, we're regularly audited. We represent low risk. Um, we go through regular AML and other audits um, that show that we have very uh, robust. We have a very robust control framework for things like, uh, you know, anti-money laundering, proper coin screening, fraud prevention, appropriate segregation between customer and corporate assets. Uh, so we put a huge amount of effort into the foundational control infrastructure uh, of the business. And if you look at some of the lawsuits that have been brought, they often, they often really, you know, the, the real story is often failures of the control framework, uh, you know, and things like you know, lack of segregation between customer and corporate assets, um, which is, which is just just sort of like a foundational principle. You you have to do that stuff properly. Yeah, you do. <laughs> That's what I thought. You have the proper audit, proper risk framework. Yep, that, that that makes sense. Um, yeah, you know, and we're super. You know, we're super careful about what tokens we list. Um, you know, crypto is a fascinating space because on one hand, you want there are tens of thousands of projects being built on blockchains. You want to give people access to the innovation that's going on there, but equally you want to protect them from fraud and scams. And striking that balance is something we take terribly seriously. We have a listing committee 
It consists of legal compliance, infosec, security representation. You know, we reject 70%, at least 70% of the tokens that are brought to the committee. And we regularly delist tokens when, when the facts change. Um, and, you know, we, we check, we do background checks on founders. We make sure networks are operational and appropriately decentralized. Founders don't ho hold a disproportionate amount of tokens. Um, so, you know, we, we, we take all of that, that, that customer protection stuff very seriously. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You know, I, I, I am a, I am a Celsius customer or was my money is frozen on Celsius and watching this whole bankruptcy proceeding, all this stuff fighting, it's been a, a, a nightmare. <laughs> so I'm glad that you're doing the proper everything, you know, appreciate that. Yeah, um, we've, uh, you know, um, it's interesting. The company was founded in the wake of the 2008 financial crash. And I know the founders of the company you know, deliberately built in transparency from the beginning as a reaction to the black box model that had exposed customer money to risks that they didn't understand. And so, you know, right from the get-go, um, from when the product was launched in 2014, we were fully transparent about our assets and liabilities. And post-FTX, that sort of transparency value um, has really become very important. And, uh, you know, we've seen strong positive inflows for all but two months in the last 18 months, which given the incredibly difficult market backdrop. Um, you know, it's been very, very pleasing for us. Awesome. So I want to get into something new that you launched uh, or launching launched. Um, it's called Vault, right? Yeah. What is your latest Vault solution all about and why it is, a, is it a revolutionary form of self-custody for the mass market? Sure. Well, Vault is an assisted form of self-custody. And what it basically gives the customer is a multi-sig wallet where the user controls the majority of the keys. So the user has two keys. We retain one key. The vault assets are on chain, uh, which means they're fully bankruptcy remote. Uh, even if the uphold app is down, you can move your assets. You can, you can do anything you want with your assets. Um, and it's assisted self-custody because the solution is resilient to key loss. So if you lose one of your keys you can come to uphold and you can say, look, I've lost one of my keys. You put your remaining key together with our key to create a replacement key for the one that you've lost. And we, we think that really is pretty revolutionary because Vault is embedded in the uphold app. It's a custody option you can access from the app. You can move funds to your Vault location, which means they're in self-custody, but they remain adjacent to the trading location. So in other words, with one click, you can pull the assets back from the Vault wallet onto the trading platform and trade. You know, so the days of rummaging through your desk trying to find your, you know, your 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 key, or digging up a metal plate in the garden trying to find the key to move your assets from us, it's not convenient. It's not practical for people. Um, and Vault basically puts a window on the native multi-sig technology that's embedded in blockchains and has proven to be extraordinarily secure. If you look at Bitcoin and Ethereum, they all use multi-sig wallets. And those wallets have protected tens of billions of dollars of assets. Um, Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network has never been hacked. Um, and you know, we know of one wallet belonging to a large exchange, there's $9 billion in that wallet. 
It's been protected by this multi-sig technology, but the multi-sig technology has been complex, inaccessible, and impractical for mainstream users to, to access. So really with Vault, we put a very user-friendly window on that battle-tested technology and made it super practical and convenient. So you can pull assets backwards and forwards to trade and at the same time have the ultimate security of, of, of self-custody um, for your assets. There's a big adage, crypto says not your crypto. And what you've done is you say, you said, okay, it's quick, you you replace with technology to say, if you don't have your keys, you can still have your crypto. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, exactly. I mean, fundamentally, Volt says, look, you have two of the keys. We only have one. So we can't do anything with your money with that one key. We can't move it. We have no access to it. You, the user, are in control. You have two keys. There is no barrier between you and your assets. However, we appreciate that full self-custody where you have one private key and if you lose it, your funds are gone. That doesn't work for most people. And it's not just the, it's not just the risk involved, it's the complexity of, of using a traditional self-custody solution. Vault just makes it incredibly easy. One click, either way, you can pu pull your funds back to the trading platform or push them to Vault. And equally, you know, rest easy at night that if you do lose one of your keys, you can create a new key um, by, by coming to us and putting your key together with ours. We don't think anybody has brought that combination of benefits together in exactly the same way. Uh, so it, it is something genuinely new under the sun. It is spectacularly easy to use. And one of our design goals from the start was survivability. So, you know, if the Uphold app is down, we don't want you to be dependent on us. You don't have to use Uphold to move your Vault wallets. You can go to any, um, any compatible wallet um, and, and move funds. So survivability was very important. And we deliberately steered away from things like multi-party computation solutions because those make you dependent on the vendor. If the vendor goes away, you're stuck. You need really heavy-duty server-side infrastructure for MPC uh, solutions to, to work. And for us, that didn't meet our design goal. We wanted something simple, something battle-tested, some, something super secure, and something that, you know, if our app was down, you didn't need us. You can just, you can still access your funds. Sounds good. I don't even know what a multi-motor contributional, what you said. <laughs> Multi-computational uh, is, um, but it's cool. yeah, it's a, a very heavy-duty, mathematically uh, very complex way of, uh, of 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 securing a wallet. And uh, there are proponents for it. I think Binance has launched an MPC wallet. Um, but you know, our our preference is make it easy, make it survivable, make it independent, so that you know. You're not relying on a vendor to be able to access your funds. Our, our fundamental belief is there should be no barrier between you, the customer, and your funds on chain, which is one of the fundamental principles of, of, of crypto. You know, you're self-sovereign. You can move your money without dependence on anybody. I, I love it. I love the idea. Um, <laughs> so right now, there's still 
a range of challenges for users when navigating the world of decentralized finance. What, um, right? So what do you think, what, what do those challenges continue to be? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great point. I mean, look, for the average user, the idea of being your own bank in DeFi, it's, it's simply not practical. There are too many components missing. The, the problem of identity and decentralized finance hasn't been worked out yet. Um, today, moving money from fiat currency into crypto is a regulated activity in most major markets in the world, which means there has to be a centralized counterparty. Um, if you look at DeFi, there's been some fantastic innovation there. Decentralized exchanges generally have worked very well. They've eliminated counterparty risk. You know, it's 24-7 operation. But, you know, the, the specter that haunts DeFi is uh, security, basically. Uh, a lot of these smart contracts can be hacked. Um, and for the average user, it's, it's you know, it's just not, a, it's just not a safe space. Um, it's a maturing space. There's super interesting innovation on there. But for the average user, you know, there are still... Ten, tens of millions of dollars lost, um, it feels like, every week. And until the, the fundamental problems of security, identity, regulation, all of those things are addressed, um, fundamentally, it's a sandbox. My, my real point is until the problems of uh, identity, um, security, it was really interesting to see the French authorities this week suggest that you know, they're, they're going to introduce a mandatory requirement for for um, smart contracts to be audited and inspected and authorized. Um, you know, and for crypto purists, that sounds horrific. But the, <laughs> the idea is not mad in the sense that if there were an opt-in system and people could have confidence in, in, in smart contract code, um, you know, it, it instills confidence. But our, our, I mean, our bottom line is there's still... The French, the French authorities introduced a recommendation that um, the smart contract code is audited and inspected by authorities, which for crypto purists, of course, sounds mad. Um, but it's not such a crazy idea in the sense that if it were an opt-in system and it instilled confidence, you know, in the uh, in the sector, it, it could be it could be good for the industry. But I mean, our our view is. DeFi contains a lot of super interesting innovation, but it's too risky, too complex, and too impractical for the average user. So one of the things that we want to do at Uphold is expose certain benefits of DeFi. And Vault is a very good example, really, with Vault. We're making self-custody, which is the foundational principle uh, of DeFi, easy and practical to use for the non-technical user. Um, and I remember sitting with the team at the start of the year and you know, we asked ourselves, what's the biggest problem in crypto? And really, when you think about it at 36,000 feet, the biggest problem in crypto is it's difficult for the average customer to hold crypto assets natively. Um, so Vault is all about making it very easy and safe and simple. You know, the DeFi, it's interesting. You talk about, you talk about FTX. You know, I talked about Celsius, but when you were looked when you looked at DeFi and these companies had to pay off their smart contracts, had to pay back their smart contracts. That that payment in the DeFi rails worked perfectly 
Yeah. It was the to the to the central to, to through CFI to the customers that didn't work at all. You yep. know, so how do you how how do you build upon that pieces that worked? Like, you know, and it's a DeFi has hacks, but isn't it just the bridges that have the hacks? Like what are you taking from the DeFi lessons and applying it to make it safer for the customer? Well, I think I think look, in most parts of the world, so certainly most developed markets. As I said earlier, moving fiat into crypto is a regulated activity, which means there has to be uh, a regulated party. There has to be a centralized. Um, there has to be a centralized entity in the chain because fundamentally, the way licensing works is you get a license, you have to operate according to your license, and the regulator fundamentally needs somebody that they can hold responsible for wrongdoing, and so a regulated exchange is. An essential part of that system. The idea that regulators are going to start regulating DeFi successfully—it's just a long way off. It's just not practical. So at the moment, you know, we're we're fundamentally taking—we're offering a hybrid model. We're saying, look, here's a CeFi platform that's fully transparent, it's fully compliant, KYCs all of its customers, but it gives you super easy access to really interesting concepts like self-custody. We're just making it very simple, but at the same time, we're being compliant and transparent. And it's it's we think it's the hybrid model that really is going to get traction over the next three to five years. Because if you look at blockchain technology generally, you're going to need regulated gateways onto a blockchain. So one way to look at Uphold and Coinbase and other players in this space is we're regulated gateways onto the blockchain. Um, that, that's the way I think about it. That makes a lot of sense. I've been saying for years, you can hack an exchange, you can hack a wallet, you can't hack the blockchain. Yeah. You know? No, that, that, I mean, as, as, as Bitcoin has shown, right? I mean, it's extraordinary that tens of billions of dollars have been protected by the native multi-sig wallets on that chain. Never, never been hacked. Yeah. Multi-sig wallets are just a band-aid for a much larger problem, right? So what is that much larger problem? And how, if we fix that much larger problem, can we can we onboard the next, you know, million, billion users? Yeah, I mean, um, it, it is a band-aid for a much larger problem. And, and I mean, the much larger problem fundamentally is lack of trust. There's a lack of trust in DeFi. And it comes down to you know, lack of identity, lack of compliance association with, with, with rogue actors, um, lack of security standards in, in, in the code. Um, um, and you know, I personally, I just think we need to throw away a lot of the crypto purist principles and just get real. If you want it to, if you want it to go mainstream, you need to make it easy to use, safe to use, and uh, transparent. And uh, you know, as I said earlier, I think the interim solution is, is uh, you know, regulated gateways like us that, that try to embrace the best principles of blockchain, um, but, um, but, but, you know, are not, are not fully on chain. So the crypto purists would say they have a vision and that's self-sovereignty. Yeah. Right. But you also have the vision of self-sovereignty, except the self-sovereignty... I guess there there's a conflict there 
Oh, uh, how do you how do you see uh, what do you see as self sovereignty? Why is it important, and how are you an important factor in helping people achieve self sovereignty? Well, I think we see self sovereignty as you absolutely have the right to hold your money on chain in a in a non custodial wallet, and you have the right to move it, uh, you know, as as you see fit. But we don't associate that with anonymity. So you know, we 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 won't obviously touch anything to do with mixers. Everybody who's onboarded onto Uphold goes through government photo ID identification. So you know, we want to create a safe place where people are identified and their activity, uh, you, you know, their activity is not in any way anonymous. Um, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be self-sovereign in the sense of you have, you can move money into a in, into a wallet on chain and you should be able to move that money on chain. But you can't do that through Uphold, you know, on an anonymized basis. You know, and the compliance rules in this space are fundamentally, you've got a duty to identify your customer, you've got a duty to screen your customer. We can't serve people on, you know, sanction lists. There's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff we just have to comply with, um, you know, and crypto purists would reject all of that. So, you know, that's that's not the market we're trying to serve, right? We can't serve that market. But we are trying to give people uh, who, who are happy to, you know, go through regular onboarding and screening processes access to the benefits of self-sovereignty on-chain. I guess I'm a semi-purist. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I believe in identify. I believe an important part of aspect of blockchain is not just banking the unbanked. And what I do is a voice for the voiceless, you know, um, but identity for the unidentified, right, uh, is a basic tenant, and that kind of conflicts with, you know, full dis full disclosure and transparency, right. Do you think there's a there's a world that exists where where both can come into like work both can come into an alignment and and cooperate and work together, or do you think that yeah, everything? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think one of the one of the major things that needs to happen is regulators need to start employing a lot more blockchain engineers and people who understand blockchain, because once regulators realize that fundamentally the underlying technology is a positive force in society and to, can do great things for society, not just economically, not just cutting costs out of businesses, but, you know, can be a societal good, then I think it will change the attitude of regulators towards the technology. And our space is sort of cursed with so many conflicting labels, you know, Web3, DeFi, crypto, blockchain. It's, a, it's confusing. And some of the labels are not helpful. Um, and I, I do believe that, you know, a major accelerant would be regulators employing more uh, blockchain specialists. So they gained a better understanding of the technology and the benefits it, it can bring. There's a, there's a lot of understanding, uh, a lot of misunderstanding, rather, uh, with regulators as to the purpose of crypto and, and so on, which is unhelpful because it, it, it impedes clear rules of the road being set. I looked at it as the convergence of science, technology, and society. Yeah. 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 I think that's a great way to look at it. Absolutely. And 
and the regulators are just looking at it as finance. Yeah. So how do we get them to understand? It comes down to both sides talking to each other and, uh, you know, understanding, developing greater mutual understanding. That's happening now in Europe. It's happening in the UK. The governments in, in, in both jurisdictions are reaching out to the industry, working with the industry to set clear rules of the road. It's happening in Dubai. It's happening in Singapore. Um, you know, and constructive things are coming out of it. The, the UK last week introduced very constructive stablecoin regulation that is really going to help with the adoption of, 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 of the technology and I think put the UK in a really strong position. Uh, the regulators here, I mean, a few years ago, we went through the crypto asset firm registration process in the UK. And it was really, really tough. Um, and we, we, we got our license. We were one of only five big platforms that did. But it was a positive process. It was run very, very professionally by the regulator. They went to great lengths to understand the technology. You know, and it was a constructive engagement. I think the disappointing thing is what we're still seeing in the US, which is sort of like a standoff. And um, it's, a, it's a very strange situation where, you know, you, you see these actions taking place and the regulator coming after crypto firms and then they go to court and the, the US court system, generally speaking, is saying is actually defending <laughs> is actually coming down in in favor of uh, you know the, the the crypto industry in many of these cases and we've you know we've been in situations where we've gone to we we've seen a complaint made by a US regulator we've gone to three separate law firms and all three law firms says no the regulator is wrong on the law i mean that's an extraordinary situation but I think it's getting better. You know, I think there's some there's some constructive draft bills now emerging in the U.S. There's uh, Lewis Gilbrand and there's McHenry, two bills that have a lot of detail about digital assets and how they should be regulated. So, my, you know, my own belief is that while it may be a confusing situation at the moment, within two to three years, I think the U.S. should – it'll probably come from behind and have the best rules for, for – crypto of all, of all the jurisdictions maybe maybe i'm a crazy optimist but i think they'll wake up to the fact they don't want to lose this technology race and the technology is here to stay that's the main thing yeah my fr uh, uh, some friends and i were talking about you know over the past year how the u.s is going through this process of regulatory capture um yeah. and then two or three years they're going to say once the regulatory capture has been complete Oh, it's okay now. You can get into it, um, and then the the flip the switch is going to flip overnight, and then we're going to see mass adoption. Yeah, right. What do you 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 see something similar? No, I I think the industry is still really young. You know, I I remember listening to some critics recently, and they were saying, you know, the internet came into people's lives in in ninety five, and there was mass adoption by two thousand and five. The trouble is that's just not true, right? The internet was invented in '68, and got it, got, <laughs> you know, reached scale in I don't know 2005, 2008. The point is, it took 40, 50 years, and you know we're we're very early, still very early. So I think there's a a long a long way to go. But what's happened 
over the past two years in terms of regulatory clarity and more, you know, at least there's some semblance now of regulatory maturity in some parts of the world with respect to crypto. That's a, that's a very positive thing. And with clear rules of the road, you'll get adoption by companies, enterprises, and so on. I agree. Uh, yeah, thirty-year cycle they say, or thirty or forty. Yeah, makes sense. Um, okay, awesome. So I want to thank you very much um, for speaking with me today. I enjoyed this conversation, and I have, I have one last question. Um, Great to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Thank you for for being here. And uh, my last question is this. Um, how can people find out more information about you, about Uphold? How can they learn more about Vault? How can they uh, become customers, clients? How can they do that? Yeah, the best way is just search us out, uphold.com, um, and you'll find a ton of information about us. You'll find a landing page about Vault. Um, we have a Twitter uh, feed, which is very active. That's got loads of stuff. or will shortly have loads of stuff about Vault. Um, but please check us out. We're on iOS, um, Android, web. So, yeah, come come find out more about us. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today. Jamil, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. I'm